How you doing? I'm so glad to be here. Clap if you're glad to be here at this church right here. I've only, I've only met Pastor Sam just briefly, and I've only had a few conversations, meaningful conversations with Peter. I met him first because my creativity led me to where he does business, and we got to know each other, and he became the first person I would call there if I wanted to do anything. And when I hung up the phone, if I had talked with him about anything I was doing, I knew it was going to be okay. And that's how our relationship has gone for a long time. And then when he came and said he came and checked out what I did, and what I did was kind of okay for him, enough to have me come here, and I'm humbled to be here. Um, this, is, this is how you do Christian. This is how you, you intermix, you talk about your faith, you put your trust, you put your integrity in what you're doing, and you let the world see it. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about what it means to be a Christian today. My talk is called, How Fast Can You Run? Um, I want to let you know a little bit about me before I go. I talk mostly to 7 to 11-year-olds. That's my people. Or where's my se Anybody 7 to 11 in here? Where are you? Anybody remember when they were 7 to 11? Yeah, how are we doing? Okay, good. And people often ask me, well, Keith, you talk to 7-11 year olds, how are you going to relate to adults? And I say, well, I usually talk a little slower, <laughs> use smaller words, and everything seems to work out. I um, was never intended on being a speaker, never wanted to speak to kids, had no desire to do it, and that's right where God wants you when he needs you. Right at that point where you say, I would never do that. I would never go to Mexico because it's too dirty. And I have friends right now that won't leave Mexico till every person in there hears about Jesus that at one point said to God, don't send me to Mexico, it's too dirty. And he's like, oh, that's where you don't want to go? That's where I need you. So that's how it works. So I was, I was in a journey to find out what I was going to be doing. I ended up at a Christian college because I wanted to play basketball. I had no desire to go into ministry, but it was the only place I could play basketball. So I had to play Christian while I was playing basketball. And they ended up sending me to a church where I had to be an intern there and I actually had to play youth pastor there because I had chosen youth ministry because I looked at missionary, no, senior pastor, no. You know, I went down, I said, well, I can fool kids, so I'll take that, you know, we'll go there. Well, they stuck me with 12 junior hires. I walked in the room, met them for the first time and fell in love with all of them. I saw me as a 12-year-old struggling to figure out what is going on with my life, my body, my mind, everything. And here's a group of helpless kids that need Jesus. And that was when I had what I call my Jeremiah moment. And if you remember in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, God comes to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, now's your moment. This is your moment. Before you even got here, I already knew you, Jeremiah. Before you came out of your mom's womb, I had already set you apart for something great. And guess what, Jeremiah? Now's your moment. And you'd think Jeremiah would go, yeah, now's my moment. And he basically looked at God and said, you got the wrong guy. And he basically said, because of two reasons. Because I'm too young and I don't talk very well. I'm too young in the faith and I probably wouldn't know what I was saying if you asked me to say it. There's a lot of people who don't know about Jesus because the Jeremiah moment for you might have been something that you looked back at God and said, not me. I can't go talk to that neighbor. I can't represent him at my work because I think I'm too young in the faith and I'm not sure I'd know what to say. 
God looked at Jeremiah, and this was God's response to Jeremiah. Basically, it says, if those words ever come out of your mouth again, you and I are going to have some trouble. Because I need you to go where I need you to go, and I need you to do and say what I need you to do and say, and I'll be doing most of the talk through you. If you go there representing me, you're going to go stand in front of an entire city and tell them if they don't turn their lives back to God, their city's in trouble. And when God got done talking to Jeremiah, Jeremiah realized, this is my moment. This is my moment. Some of you have experienced your Jeremiah moment. I talked with a woman today that says she loves working with kids. She knows she's supposed to be working with kids. It's a Jeremiah moment. I remember when I first chose to work with these kids at that church, I got in there and got going, was doing a great job. And then about two or three years into it, I missed my son's first home run in Little League because I was sharing the gospel with kids at a camp. I missed my daughter's first axle on ice because I was at a church preaching about Jesus. And I started to have this dad moment where I didn't think I was being a good enough dad. And so I decided to stop doing speaking to kids because I was going to be a better dad. And I called a woman and said I needed to have a meeting with her because she had asked me to speak at a camp and I was going there to tell her I wouldn't be doing the speaking at her camp um, because things had changed. I was realigning my life and my faith and I was turning it into a dad thing instead of a God thing. And so I'm driving, I get about a mile from my house, and all of a sudden I hear, bam! And it's back in the drive-by shooting time, so I duck, thinking, are they shooting at me? Are they, are they after the Dutch gang? What's going on here? I don't know. And it wasn't a gunshot, my right rear tire had blown out. And I knew that because all of a sudden the truck took over the driving for me. It's like I'm doing this, and all of a sudden the truck's doing this. And I'm like, no, truck, bad truck, road this way. So I'm a guy, I can fix this, I turn it back. No, 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 truck, no. I turn around, wave at the people behind me. Hi, this is all part of my driving experience, yes. I come around, I'm heavy on the brakes, but I'm still moving because I'm off the road, but I'm on this dry gravel and grass, and I'm sliding. But I know I'll be stopping at about 20 feet because 20 feet up ahead of me is a cliff. And I don't do cliffs. So I'm like, okay, we can stop right here. Nobody got hurt, I'm still sliding. 10 feet away, okay, God, this would be a great location to maybe have a little talk, I'm still sliding. Five feet away, I'm like, did you bring me here to get a good view of the valley? What's going on here? I'm still sliding, and all of a sudden I feel when I get to the edge, the truck lean to the right. And I did what every guy would do. I lean to the left, thinking I can save the whole truck. You know, uh-oh. Uh-oh. And then all of a sudden, over the cliff I go tumbling down. I can hear glass breaking and metal crunching all around me. I'm thinking to myself, God, this is inconvenient. I got this meeting with a lady in a little bit. I'm flying down this stuff flying by. My wallet went by. All of a sudden, my phone went by. And I was like, wouldn't that be weird if it rang? Yeah, yeah. I'll be right with you. Got a little trouble. Land at the bottom. Laying on my side this way. I check to see what I've lost. You know, what's going on? There's nothing wrong with me. The only thing that got hurt was when I let myself out of the seatbelt because I was kind of hanging there. I put my hand down and I hit some glass and got those little cutsies in my hand, you know, the ones that you get kids, you know. And then mom says she'll put Bactine on it because it doesn't sting, but it really does because they lie to you. Yeah, I had those little cutsies. That's it. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I didn't know that three guys in a pickup had seen everything that happened, college guys. So I hear from like 500 feet away or something, we're coming, dude. <laughs> so now I'm kind of laughing and in shock at the same time. And all of a sudden, these two hands go on the passenger 
window up there. It's all blown out, but and his face peeks in. Dude, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I think so. He goes, I'm not, and he starts throwing up in the bushes because he thought he was coming up on some big bloody mess. His two friends have to get me out. We go up through the window and climb up to the top. By that time, a trucker's pulled over. He's called the fire department. I'm calling my wife. They show up. All of a sudden, the fire department shows up, and they run past me to go help the guy down the hill. And somebody goes, no, that's him over there talking on his phone. So now i got three firemen standing in front of me going, that's okay. You're not really talking to anybody. You're in shock. I'm like, hey, honey, I'm in shock. It's awesome. It's really cool. I, they want to send me to the hospital. I go, there's nothing wrong with me except for the cutsies, but I'm on to you about the spray, so I'm good. Leave me alone. And they're like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, tow truck guy shows up. He goes down and clicks these cables to my truck and starts trying to bring my truck up. He can't get it to come up. Starts cussing at my truck. Now, I don't know Spanish, but you know when somebody's letting somebody have it, buy my enchilado burrito, I don't know. He's just letting it all fly. He's got to call another tow truck guy in. They don't like it. It's an ego thing, you know. So now there's two guys with cables. They bring my truck up while I'm standing there filling out some paperwork. When it lands, it's destroyed. My wife starts crying instantly, thinking I've been in this truck. All I can remember is when I got, they got me out, I had to step out around the steering wheel because the steering wheel was wedged into the seat. Tow truck guy turns around. He's staring at me. He goes, you don't walk away from this. I do this every day, and when the truck looks like that, you don't walk away. And then I don't know what kind of faith he had. It was one where you could really yell in and out of, in and out of an object. He looks at me and goes, I remember my whole life, he looks at me and goes, the Lord was with you today. And in my mind, I thought, today and every day. Then the question came, why am I okay? If the expert says the truck looks like that, why am I okay? And I promise you, I heard God say bigger than life in my head, Keith, because I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet. I will spend the rest of my life talking to kids and adults that allow me to say, if you're still here, there's a lot of ways to leave this earth, but if you're still here right now, it's because God's not finished with you yet. And for some of you, he's just getting started. He's just getting started. So you come into a room like this. You meet with like-minded people. We made it through another week. Why are we still here? Because God's got stuff to do. And he's not finished with us yet. And for some of you kids... He might just be getting started. Wow. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to read from Hebrews 12 in a minute. So if you want to get to Hebrews 12, that would be great. I want to cover three points. I just want to make three prints of your note taker. I want to cover three things with you. If you get to Hebrews 12, and I'm glad that it's kind of a kickoff sporty kind of a thing. Um, because this is a scripture where God turns Christianity into a race, kind of makes it a competitive thing. So it kind of fits in really well with what we're going to do. The first principle I want to get across to you and that I try and share with every 7 to 11-year-old, especially in the United States, is this. One, God is still in control of this earth. 
We have a nation trying to do everything it can to make that not be known to you. We have a nation going out of their way to take God off of the throne and put other things in there. And I want you to know, according to this book and according to our God, God is still in control. I can prove it in so many ways. You're going to hear different ways of way the earth was put together. If you take this book right here and you read the first four words in this Bible, it says this, in the beginning God. I want you to know, kids, you can stop right there at in the beginning God because if anybody tells you anything else on how the beginning began that doesn't have in the beginning God, you're being lied to. Doesn't matter what kind of degrees they have, where it came from, how you heard it, how impressed you were with how they presented it to you. If you are not hearing in the beginning, God, you're being lied to. This book right here, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, and I love all the 3.16s in the Bible, but that one says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for rebuking, teaching, correcting, and preparing you to be the person you're supposed to be on this earth. If you are trying to figure out why you're on this earth and what your Jeremiah moment might be, and you're doing it by any other book except this book, you're doing it by a man-breathed book, not a God-breathed book. And this book's got to get open some more, families. This book has to, your home needs to be God-breathed before you send them out there into this world. You've got to get them prepared. God is in control. He's up front. He's the same Lord he's been all, for all eternity. I want to show you a picture of something. Do we have my picture of my little fun little pet? Yeah, you see that right there? Kids, you see that? That guy's in the Bible. You know what it says about him? It says he breathes fire from his mouth and smoke pours from his nose. It says that his scales are so strong and powerful that there isn't a weapon at that time made by man that could even penetrate its skin. The Bible says if you get in a fight with this thing, it's a fight you will remember the rest of your life and you will never do it again. There was no more powerful being than this thing called a Leviathan. God spent two chapters basically explaining this monster. And you know why? Because one guy came to him and said, are you still in control, God? He kind of said, my life's kind of messed up right now. And his life was really messed up. He said, are you still there? And God said, have you considered the Leviathan? And he describes this enormous, and that character knew, that man knew about Leviathan. Because they walked among him. He says, I want you to picture that. Because that monster, God said, sits at my feet like a little puppy dog. That thing that your weapons can't even touch sits at my feet like a little puppy dog. So if you want to know if God's still in control, things like this sit at his feet like little pets. That's how big our God is. Kids, you want to know where that is in the Bible? You want me to tell you? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You get with your parents or whoever and you go find this thing and read about it and understand how big God must be if that thing is a little puppy to him. 
God is still in control. And this world can raise up, a bit, and this nation can raise up what they think are giant Leviathan. But God is still in control. The second thing is about this Bible needing to be opened and, God, and a family being God-breathed every morning. I mean, there's so many stories in the Bible that talk about how important the Bible is. I remember my brother went off to the Air Force when we left high school. It's kind of his only option. So he came home for that after boot camp, and I was like, hey, did they give you a gun? Yeah. Oh, did you go out to the range and start shooting that thing? He goes, well, not right away. Well, like two days in, what did it feel like to shoot an actual gun? I wanted to know, you know, brother, that, we shot the BB guns, but that's not a gun gun. What's a real gun like? He goes, we didn't shoot the thing for two or three weeks. I go, they gave you a gun and you didn't shoot it for two or three weeks. What'd you do? He goes, every day they took us out and they handed us our gun and we had to take it apart, put it back together. Next day, what do we do? Take it apart, put it back together. A week long, what'd we do with this gun? Do we put it in, nope, nope, take it apart, put it back together. Then they put a blindfold on us, made us take it apart, put it back together. Then they stuck it in mud, handed it to us, we had to take it apart, clean it, and put it back together. Because they weren't going to send us out into the battlefield with a weapon we didn't know how to use. It would be ridiculous to send them out into the battlefield with a weapon that they hadn't taken apart and put back together so much that if they were out there in the battlefield and everything went bad, they knew how to take it apart and put it back together. We need to be Christian families that take this weapon. We got the armor of God, but he didn't stick us in a corner with the armor of God to get beat on. He gave us something to fight with. He gave us a weapon. 66 chambers and a gun that can defeat anything Satan throws at you, and we need to take it apart and put it back together. And take it apart and put it back together. So that if anything happens out there in this world that seems to be coming at you from an attacking standpoint, you know how to defend yourself because you know how to take it apart, put it back together, and make it work for you. Kids, I hope you would take that initiative on your own to make this the number one book you read in the morning and the number one you read at night, that you would pick up something God-breathed because you're God-breathed and would get in line with what you're supposed to be doing in this world and where your Jeremiah moment might even come from. The third thing and the best thing is that I would say is that people, and this is what I tell seven one year old people need Jesus. What a hopeless society we're in right now if there's not a Jesus. Every society that didn't have Jesus was a hopeless group walking around wondering what are they going to do. And there's a lot of people walking around our nation right now wondering what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They need Jesus. They need to see Jesus. And they need to see you in the Word. And they need to see you showing up at church. And they need to see. You don't have to go over it because of neighborhood dynamics and tell the person across the street, I'm the Christian on the block and I'm going to keep hitting you with Jesus. They just need to see Jesus in you. Jesus is so compelling that if you're being Christ-like, it's like a magnet anyway. Wait as you continue to be consistent in your faith and watch them walk across the street to you. Watch them come to you. I remember talking to people about the Bible at a camp of kids, and my son had gone with me this time, and so he's sitting up in the back. He's seven years old. And I had challenged some kids to take the Bible with them wherever they went. Take it into a math class and put it on top of a math book. Take it into an English class. Take it to PE, and then tell me what happened. Just tell me what happened. 
So a week later, I'm up in my office working on some stuff, writing or something, and I see my son run in the house. He runs upstairs, and I see him run downstairs with his Bible. And a curious dad, I go, okay, I've got to follow this. I'm following. We have a little thing that opens on our front door. The kids have decided to play either cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. I don't know. But they're out there. They all went home and got their weapons. And my son didn't have a weapon, but he knew he had a weapon because of what I had said a week earlier at this camp. And I listened to my son, seven years old, say to the, all the other kids, they're looking at this book he's got, he says, if I say a scripture before you shoot me, you're dead. And the game begins, and he's running around going, for God so loved the world, he got another And if he didn't like a kid, he goes, Jesus wept. Gotcha. <laughs> Ten minutes into the game, a kid from a family across the street that is part of a faith that tends to have a lot of kids came over and said, Noah, you want to change guns? In other words, what is so important about that book that you would bring it to the battlefield? That's my question to you. What is so important about this book that you would bring it to the battlefield? Or is this book important enough that you would bring it to the battlefield so that people can see Jesus in you? a lot of things that this world is throwing at these kids saying we know the way we know the way and if we don't tell them every day there is only one way one truth one lord one life one savior they might listen to option two and option three we need to be a generation that announces to this next generation of believers that jesus is the way and I love in that scripture on Hebrews, if you want to look at 12.1. And this comes right on the heels of Hebrew 11, which would be a, Hebrews 11, which would be a great read for all of you to see the people of faith and what they did for God just based on faith in this God. A lot of the Bible heroes are in there, and they base everything they did on one thing, their faith that God is who he said he is. Wouldn't it be great to have a generation that would do godly things just based on the knowledge that we have raised them up in the idea that God is who he said he is in the beginning, God. And there's hope. So if we put up Hebrews 12, you can see that it says there, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's all those saints that have come before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, kids, which means fast. The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on not some worldly thing. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and went and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Highlight that if you want to. Because that's what we, we want kids to consider him over all the things they're going to get asked to consider and all the things you're getting asked to consider. Consider him who endured such opposition from evil men. Why? So that you would not grow weary and you would not lose heart. Satan wants you weary. He wants you to lose heart. He wants you to give up. He wants you to stop running. He wants you to trot. 
He wants you to jog in your faith, parent. He wants you to put it on cruise control. He wants you to take some time off. You've run hard. Go ahead and take a few days off. There's a cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. And adults in the room, there's a crowd of witnesses. This next generation. And they're watching how you run. They're looking and seeing how fast you run in your faith. And if you're jogging it out, okay for you, okay for them. If you're just walking in your faith, okay for you, okay for them. They are watching you like a hawk, even when you don't know it. And they are like little sponges absorbing how you do Christian. How important is he to you? How important is God to you? Do they see that you understand God is in control and that the Bible is God-breathed and that Jesus needs to be seen in this world? I'm going to challenge you today to ask yourself, because it's not my job. It's my job to figure out how fast I'm running. And when I put it on cruise control or I decide to call a lady that, and tell her I can't come to a camp anymore because I'm having a dad moment, some, sometimes God can tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you to get running again. Hey, hey, you. And some of us stubborn ones, he's got to roll us down a hill and almost kill us. I got your attention now? Yes. I went home and called that lady and said, we're not going to have to have a meeting. I'm going to be so excited to talk to your kids at this camp. It's probably going to be the best talk I ever did in my life because I realized I had a Jeremiah moment. God and I had a time and we talked and I made him the Lord of my life and he asked me to go reach a people group with the, for the rest of my life and I tried to throw a dad thing in there because that was like a cool thing to do. I felt like I was being more of a better person and my wife looked at me and said, that's why you were going to meet with her? Are you crazy? I'll take care of when you're not here, Keith. You go show people Jesus, and I think we'll be okay. That's been our thing for the rest of our lives, and that's what we do. And I'm challenging you to understand that there's a crowd of witnesses that need to see Jesus real in all of us, that God is still in control that the Bible is alive and real. It's the only alive book in our house because it's the only one that I saw it there and then all of a sudden I saw it over there and I never moved it. It's moving around my house. All the other books just sit on the shelf. You know why? Because they're man-breathed. But that one needs to come alive. Picture Josiah as an eight-year-old king. Kids, wouldn't that be cool? You're eight years old and you're king. Cool. Root beer in every drinking fountain. I don't know. What are we going to do here? Schools from 12 to 1 with an hour for lunch. I love it. This is, we're going to just set this place up right. And he finds out when they're rebuilding a temple that they found these papers up on a shelf that according to the Bible haven't even been read since any person alive right there was alive. They sat up there a long time. And they happen to be the scriptures. It's like a Bible that got put on a shelf. It's got so much dust on it and nobody's ever... They bring it down and when they read it and it says how God wants them to run their country and this little young king sees that he's not running his country even close to what God said, he fell down and thought, that's it, we're done for. And they said, well, what do you want to do, young ruler? He looked at the scriptures. He said, I want to do this. Oh, I got to tell you something. Us adults, we've had a meeting about this. We've had a meeting about this, you want to do this, young ruler. 
and it's going to mean upheaval in this town. Things are going to change. Jobs are going to change. Businesses might be closed down. People are going to get mad. What do you want to do, young ruler? I want to do this. Well, you know, they'll come after you just like they came after your dad, and there'll be upheaval in the streets, and things will get torn up. There could be rioting, and you could end up dead tomorrow. What do you want to do, young ruler? And he said, I want to do this. Wouldn't it be great to have this next generation, have everybody come at them? Here's my question to the kids in the room. What do you want to do, young rulers? What do you want to do? Families, get together with these kids. Talk about it. Get to the point where you understand and know that the best thing they could possibly do by understanding the God-breathed book is that they want to do this. In any decision at any time, they want to do this. I finished with this when I was 10 years old. Out behind our housing track was this big old swamp, really cool swamp. Girls, I don't know about you, but guys, cool swamp. Everything you want in a swamp. With all the little bike trails going, it was just where you hung out on Saturday, go to the swamp. Up above the swamp was this giant hill on a sharp angle. Every time I tell this story, a guy comes up to me and says, we had a hill like that. I mean, these hills, I think they just put them, one in every neighborhood. I don't know. Those hills are out there. It's like 200 feet high, and when I went and saw it 20 years later, it's about 75 feet high, and it might have got some shaved off to put condos down to 50. But when I was 10, it was 200 feet high. Trust me. Sharp angle. If you're any kind of a bike rider, you had to be able to ride your bike down this hill and live to tell about it. Many had tried, not here many had made it. The hardest thing about it was when you're going down this hill faster than you've ever been on your bike before, at the last second, you had to turn your bike 90 degrees and put it on this little trail at the bottom of the hill. 90 degree turn going full speed. And if you, because if you didn't, on the other side of that trail, the swamp had grown out this big, gooey, black, tarish, nasty, smelled like sun, tuna been in the sun too long, nastiness that we called frog finger. Because it looked like a finger sticking out of the swamp and only frogs and stuff could live in it. We're told as a kid, don't go into frog, if you ever go into frog finger, you're never heard from again. When you're a kid, you believe everything, right? Ah, don't go near frog finger. We didn't see a kid for two days. Where's Billy been? I don't know. Oh, no. Frog finger has claimed another victim. No, don't go there. We had this friend in our town, one of the kids, his name was Eddie, and he was the coolest kid in our track. At five years old, he'd been riding motorcycles in competitions, so at 10 years old on a bike, he's king. He goes, hey, I've got to show you some stuff at the hill. Come with me. We're like, okay. So a few of us ride with him to the hill. We get to the top of the hill. Might have been the first time I even had the courage to be at the top of the hill. I'm looking out. You can see the whole valley. The wind's blowing. There's the swamp. And then there it is, frog finger, bubbling. I think I heard it say, come, come to the dark side. No, ah, stop, frog finger, now. Ah. All of a sudden, Eddie takes off on his bike down the hill. And we're like, Eddie has brought us here to watch him die. Get some paper and a pencil. We are going to record the death of Eddie. He's flying down this hill. We don't know what's going on. He gets about halfway down, and all of a sudden, he just starts willing his bike to turn. He's going faster on a bike than anybody I've ever seen, but somehow he gets his bike to start to turn. And at the last second, he turns his bike and puts it right on that path and comes to a stop. And we're up there. We're just cheering. Eddie, that was incredible. He looks up and goes, that's not what I came to show you. Watch this. We don't know what he's talking about. What's he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. What's he talking about? 
He gets off his bike, runs in these bushes, and drags out this big old oil barrel, big old rusty and yellow barrel, and he sets it on the path. Then he goes back into the bushes and drags out this plank of wood, big old plank of wood, and sets one half of the wood on the barrel. Now we're way up high, but it almost looks like he's made this ramp, little ramp, pointing right at Frog figure, it can't be, what's going on? I don't know what's going on, Eddie, what's going on? He pushes his bike back up the hill and comes up to us and he goes, this is what I came to show you. And he takes off again down the hill before we can grab him. We're like, oh, there goes a good friend. He's flying down this hill, going faster than he was the first time. He gets about halfway down, we're yelling, you gotta turn, Eddie, you gotta turn. He's not turning. We're yelling, turn, Eddie, turn, he's not turning. He goes straight ahead and he hits this ramp and it launches him into the air, like 30 or 40 feet in the air. Okay, I was 10, but he was way up high. And he goes over Frog Finger and lands safe on the other side. Now we're cheering more. I'm actually hugging the guy. You know, guys, we don't hug a lot, but I'm hugging the guy next to me. I can't believe we got to see that's the greatest bike move ever, Eddie, Eddie. He comes back and he yells, okay, who's next? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking fast. I look over at my friend Henry. I go, Henry, I've never told you this before, but I happen to think you're about the second best bike rider in the city. And if anybody else could make this jump, Henry, you the man. He looks at me and goes, do you think so? I go, oh yeah. And he believes me. <laughs> so he gets up there. He's rocking his bike back and forth thinking about it. What Henry needed right there was a good friend that had his well-being in mind. Unfortunately for Henry, he had me. He looks over at me and I give him one of these. Yeah. And under my breath I said, nice knowing you, because I knew it was about to happen. And he thinks about it and he goes. They say for three cities away you could hear the scream of Henry, no! I see him flying down this hill. He's trying to get to his brakes, but the momentum takes over. His feet are going like this. He's holding on for dear life. He's screaming, ah! He's looking for the little ramp out there, but he's bouncing so much. He said he saw like four of them. He's like, which one's the right one? I don't want to be on this hill. I don't want to do that ramp. I got to find that path. Get to the path. So he's going for the path. He's late. Ah! Right into Frog Finger, which we realized you can live from because he crawled out, but his skin had turned green and he smelled nasty. Even nasty for Henry, nasty, nasty. I wanted to do that hill that day, but I had to make sure my friend, why are you laughing? I heard that laughing. Don't get ahead of me. But I needed to take care of Henry. You want to know what Eddie showed me with that great jump that day? You may not believe this. He showed me your life, every person in here, oldest to youngest. Because see, when we're one and two and mom and dad are making most of the decisions for us, life's like an easy little bike ride, isn't it? But then all of a sudden we get a little bit older and this life starts picking up speed. And you get to be in your preteens, and all of a sudden things are coming by a little bit faster than normal. And here comes some sin and some temptation and you're trying to make right decisions and sometimes we make the right decision, sometimes we don't. And we get going and we get older and it gets going faster and it's flying by. These temptations and sin are coming at us and our eyes are getting a little blurry. We're holding on with everything that we got. And sometimes we make the right decision. And sometimes we don't. And I trust me, kids, your parents will tell you this, that this life gets picking up speed pretty fast sometimes. And you're holding on with everything that you've got. And you may say to yourself, I wish there was something out there. I wish there was something I could aim my life at that would make me okay. And you know what? God heard you. 
and he built you a ramp and he called him Jesus. He says, if you can hit this ramp, if you can fight with everything that you've got in this life and hit this ramp, someday you're going to fly. And when you land safe on the other side in heaven, won't the whole ride have been worth it? Won't the whole ride have been worth it? That ramp loves you. That ramp is not going anywhere. And he doesn't care where you are on this hill and where you're aiming your life at. He will give you time. This is a Jesus that will take people on their deathbed. There is time to turn your life and find this ramp. Kids, whatever's taking up most of your time and getting more of your attention, you need to try and turn your life and find Jesus. And he's right there waiting for you because 100% of every person that found that ramp flew. And now they're part of a crowd of witnesses watching how you run and wanting to cheer for you. As you run with perseverance, the race marked out for you, your Jeremiah moment, fighting off the sin that entangles, fixing your eyes on him. Kids, there's a world out there that say, there's the ramp, it's money. It comes up short. There's the ramp, it's popularity. It comes up short. There's the ramp, fame. Fame will get you there. It comes up short. We're in a big you-do-you society right now. The ramp's you. Be your own ramp. Every time I hear you-do-you, I hear you be God. I hate that phrase. How about you do Jesus? Knowing that if you stumble and get off track, he loves you so much he's not going anywhere, so you do Jesus. And when he has to roll you down a hill to get your attention again, you do Jesus. And when the world's going bad and they want to talk in your schools about gender and all this kind of stuff, you do Jesus. Joshua looked at an entire city and said, okay, if that God thing is undesirable to you, if serving God is undesirable to you, that's okay, because as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I often wonder, what's a house? If you're the only person in your house that believes in Jesus, you're a house, and you start there. If you've got one other friend at school and you're the only two between your two families that want to serve God, then you become a house. Because as we put houses together, and it's you from that house and maybe a whole house here, and that house meets a neighborhood across, and the two of them, you become a house. And pretty soon we take back streets and we take back communities and we take back cities one house at a time. And you have to be willing to look at neighbors and not worry about neighborhood dynamics. You can't be thinking, if I say something so powerful, like I know the only God-breathed book and you need to read it, you have to be ready for the fallout that comes in a neighborhood because you have to be able to think to yourself, well, if that's undesirable for you right now, that's okay. Because as for me and my house, we're going to keep on serving him. And he is still in control. And this book is still the only God-breathed book. And you need Jesus. So as for me and my house, a church like this, as for this house, we must serve the Lord. 
I want to thank you for letting me be here. I, I love kids. I love this next generation. But I love to see the people in charge of this next generation. And I just want to challenge you. Boy, we aren't perfect. Boy, we mess up. Boy, we get it wrong sometimes. And there's our ramp. Not going anywhere. There's our Savior that by his stripes, every tire track, by his stripes were healed. Make sure that in your house, wherever your house is, that you're serving the Lord. What a great time to have a family service, to get together with kids. I, I sat out there, and when they said it's time to come in and do the worship service, I almost saw kind of a letdown. It's like, no, we're doing, we're doing, we're doing us, we're doing our thing. It's a, oh, the fa okay, family, let's go in and do that church. But the church was happening. I watched it happening right there. Nobody got in the room without a high hello and somebody knew a name and a hug and where you been and all this kind of stuff. That's church. This isn't the place to come in and just say you're fine if you're not fine. Adults, it's going to be hard out there every day. And if you come in here and you're not fine, this house wants to know. I tell people that bars are better churches than here sometimes because you walk in here and you go, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like, I'm fine ping pong. Ba -ping, ba -ping. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You walk into a bar, the guy sits down next to you. How you doing? My life stinks. Mine too. Let's talk about it. That's church. Kids, there's hope for you because if somebody got you in this house, there's hope for you. Continue to know no matter what your school says and the community says and society says and music says, that God is still in control. That of all the things people are going to want you to read that aren't this book, they're just man-breathed. And that Jesus isn't going anywhere. He loves you so much just as you are. He doesn't care about your past. He's all about your future. So grab a hold of this life. Aim at him go. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for all the times I have steered away from you and you didn't go anywhere. For all the times you could have given up on me and you didn't go anywhere. For all the times I questioned whether you're out there, God. And you reminded me you're in control for all the times I went to man-made thinking instead of God-breathed thinking. And so Jesus, here's a church. We want to get it right. And it doesn't matter if the world finds it undesirable right now. May we build a foundation around you. And Jesus, may we be able to say every day, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's in your name I pray and believe. Amen. As we sing this last song, would you join me and stand together?